Podcast Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network, a podcast that can put hair on the chest of an adolescent humpback whale. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is my hetero life mate, Andy Bailey, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you mid-century architectural abnormality, built like a steakhouse, but handled like a bistro. How the hell are you, my friend? I'm doing well, man. You know, getting through the summer malaise with obscure sports, tuning into the Tour de France daily, tuning into F1, whatever I can to do to fill the void here. That's how you know you and I are sports sickos. We're like, yeah, we're gonna have to wrap up early tonight. I got some summer league going on. Got some, you know, I got some expos baseball I gotta watch later. <laughs> you have summer league recorded. That is just impressive commitment. I'm not messing around. Look, you're waking up every day grinding the the Tour de France. You're still watching Formula One, like. Sports sickos, people. Clearly, like the schedule is designed to be like, all right, good time of the year, just get outside, go to a picnic or something. And you and I are like, no, <laughs> there is sports to be watched. We must must consume it. What is this men's pickleball? I'm in. It was nice going to a wedding last night, though, and not having to worry about a Michigan game. Like these people got married at the normal time of the year, which is not in the fall, which was great. And it was nice to enjoy it, have a good time. My fiance was happy. I didn't complain nearly as much as I normally do because I'm not like looking at the score. Like, is Greg Crippen in the game yet? I, I need to see these minutes. Where's the hand placement? So it was nice to enjoy it like a normal folk. Just like, yeah, I'm really excited, Charlene and Derek, but I just missed the Matthew Hibner touchdown. So I don't really care what happens to your, to your wedding. My Peyton O'Leary agenda is being pushed without me. I can't allow this. I have to be involved in the discourse. It's like, whatever, till death do you part, great. Ooh, I get it, Peyton, marriage. <laughs> Peyton O'Leary minutes here. Um, yeah, sports sickos. Uh, let's get into some quick hits here. Uh, just one this week, a little bit of news that came out of Evanston, home of the Northwestern Wildcats, who haven't won on U.S. soil since, uh, well, it's been a while. Pat Fitzgerald, a guy that we kind of stand for on this podcast, suspended for two weeks for some alleged hazing incidents. Well, then we read a little bit more about what's going on at Northwestern. And uh, this is probably the end for Pat Fitzgerald. And uh, if so, a very unceremonious one that's going to really put uh, a little bit of a taint on the on the historical sheen of Pat Fitzgerald. Going to be careful throwing around the word taint involving hazing here. <laughs> I read those reports. Um it's not good, man. It is terrible. I mean, it feels kind of like Pat Fitzgerald read the Bob Huggins dismissal at, at West Virginia and was like, no, hold on. I'll hold show on, you how to get beer. it done. Hold my beer. <laughs> let, let me take this one. So a uh, horrible situation. You really, I mean, you hope it's not true, but there's a lot of smoke surrounding this. And I can't imagine there's any way Fitz survives, which is, I mean, devastating blow to you and I, because we always kind of wanted to get a beer with him until now. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pass on the beer now. There's some other people out there that maybe don't have this sort of allegations attached to them. And look, it's not like we really hitched our wagon to him or anything like that. We just kind of always respected what he did, given how hard it is to win at Northwestern. Yeah, that's gone um, now. <laughs> that's gone now. Now you're just the guy that ended uh, on like one of the worst losing streaks in program history. So it is crazy how quickly like the sheen around a coach, a player, can just be washed away with one incident or supposedly years of incidents going on there. So uh, we'll see what happens with this one, but I would expect there to be a coaching search uh, happening in, in Evanston here before too long. I just hope if there is a coaching search, they don't look in Ann Arbor to fill that void before this season. Mm, very good point. That is, yeah, good good way to wrap, bring it back to Michigan, as you always do. That's why you're number one. <laughs> 
what else you got, sir? You had a couple quick hits in there, yeah? Yeah, man. I got a couple this week. Adam Fantilli really impressing in Columbus Blue Jackets camp. He and Kent Johnson both scored a uh, the Michigan goal this week where they scooped the puck up and put it in the net. So those are going around. And on Tour de France today, Michael Woods, Michigan graduate, got his first career stage win uh, going up a dormant volcano. I mean, the final climb, I believe it averaged out to like 7, 7.7% gradient for like 13K and then kicks up to like 13 for the last like half mile. I mean, it was just a bear of a climb. He closed a huge lead uh, on an American. Uh, Michael Woods is Canadian. So a big win for Canada, big win for Michigan and a really exciting stage this morning. Yeah, being Canadian obviously takes you down a few pegs. Being a Michigan grad brings you right back up, so you're back at level. Winning a stage on a dormant volcano, you're right up there. Now, that's a human that I would have a beer with, you know. Absolutely. I mean, it's coming later in his career, too, because I believe Michael Woods is north of 35, which is really old for cyclists. And to get it done, man, in, in this fashion, on this day, I mean, I believe it was like over 90 degrees for the entire four-hour ride today, too. So, I mean, everything stacked against them in terms of elements, climbing, and all of that. But he just proved, man, he's one of the best climbers in the world. And awesome, awesome to see him get this win. Yeah, it's exciting. I love how sports people talk about people that are 35. Like, what a miracle that he's even out there. He should probably be retired and in a hospital somewhere. And I'm like, I'm in, I'm in my peak. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm in I my prime, fine. baby. I'm still, I still got this. Got years of this left. Oh, for sure. What's the other one you wanted to hit on, brother? I was just uh, some of the NHL camp fan. Tilly's impressing Gavin Brindley. Rutger McGroarty continues to be one of the best humans on the planet, really standing out at Winnipeg Jets camp. Um, so it's just, you know, all good dude stuff surrounding the hockey program right now. And it's a nice vibe change compared to the Mel Pearson era. Yeah. Uh, also a nice vibe change compared to the basketball team where Kobe Bufkin and Jet Howard, it's summer league. Like, so even though I'm a sicko and I'm watching it, to, you know, you could take some things away from it. It's not the be all end all, not the best starts for either Bufkin nor Jet Howard. Um, we'll see. Uh, Atlanta's doing some stuff. So I'm interested to see what happens with Kobe Bufkin there. Like if he even ends up playing there, does he end up getting traded out? It's getting a little weird there. Um, but yeah, I, I think those guys will both end up being okay. I'm definitely more on board the Kobe Bufkin train than the Jed Howard train, but little Rocky out of the gates. Isn't Quinn Snyder, the head coach in Atlanta now? Uh, Quinn Snyder, I thought was in Utah. If I was, if I'm not mistaken, Did, didn't he leave and become the head coach in the last half of the season? It's entirely possible. Um, because the Utah yeah, yeah, Quinn coach Snyder, was... yeah, yeah, was at Utah now. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Look, look yeah. at me doing NBA stuff. Look at that. I'm very impressed with myself right now. Um, yeah. With Quinn Snyder being there, though, it makes me more optimistic about the development and direction of the team. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Develop Donovan Mitchell and Gobert. So, I mean, knows how to develop a point guard. Granted, Donovan Mitchell is just a beast, a different animal. But I'm still keeping all my Kobe Bufkin stock, not dumping it after one summer league game. So we'll see how they, the rest of the summer league goes. Um, we'll report back on that after we've seen some more development. And there's more to talk about. Uh, speaking of development, I wanted to talk today a little bit about you know there's a lot of Detroit fans uh you know across the board Detroit fans some of them are weird like you've got some Detroit allegiances you've got different NFL stuff you're kind of a Lions guy coming on there but you're a Blackhawks guy um, for hockey so we, I wanted to talk specific to the Detroit teams because we are in a period of rebuilds across the board um, depending on how you want to you know determine the Lions position right now I would say that that rebuild's not complete certainly 
Um, so I wanted to talk about the anatomy of a rebuild. How does it look like these things certainly aren't linear? It happens different every time. And there's a lot of them to look at, but I want to look at the state of the rebuilds currently. Um, this was because I wanted to get back into the Detroit Tigers this year, and they are in year like seven of a rebuild. I mean, this thing is it is getting ugly. So I'm trying to predict when are these teams going to be good? So let's just kind of take a, a 30,000 foot view of this. Where do you want to start? Which Detroit team? And we also want to talk Michigan here because there's been a recent Michigan rebuild. So I want to look at that as well. What does it take to rebuild in college? Let's start with the Tigers where you left off. It kind of brought you back in this summer. Okay. Let's start with the Tigers here who have been bad for a while now. Uh, you know, I, I've been a Tigers fan for most of my life. And the last time that we won the AL Central, I think was 2013 or 2014 around that time. And since then, since 2014, we have not done anything in the playoffs. So that's a nice long drought. It was really the 13-14 year. And you're going to see a lot of that. Like the last time all these Detroit teams were kind of all up at the same time was around then. So since 13-14, uh, when I look at them, it's not really so much like who the, um, you know, who's in the dugout. It's more about who the general manager is. So from 2015 to 2022, that was Alavila, seven years of Alavila. Vila. Before that, 13 years of Dave Dombrowski, who is just one of the best general managers in all of baseball. I think the Tigers are really easy to pin down because Alavila was just making horrible decisions and shouldn't have been allowed to continue to be making personnel decisions for this team and the fact that they didn't recognize it and kept him probably three four years too long is what's really drawn out this tigers rebuild um what do you think about the tigers is there anybody there i know you're not the biggest tigers fan but like where do you think that they are in this rebuild how many years before you could see a winner there yeah, man, this this case is very interesting because I feel like the term rebuild is often too blanketed, like it covers way too many things because a lot of teams, whether we like it or not, are middling and directionless, like they're not tanking, they're not rebuilding, they're just stuck in obscurity. And that's what we saw for a long time with the Lions, we saw it for the Tigers, but Avila kept throwing around rebuilding, rebuilding and doing this and doing that. But the team was just directionless and kind of spiral, spiraling. And now we're finally having some like signs of optimism every few weeks, getting some players in certain things. But it's still not there. Like you wonder what it's going to take. And you raised this question to me, this topic tonight, because like, am I going to see a Pistons title in my lifetime from here on out? And am I going to see a Tigers World Series? Because how close they were at that time. I'm talking about ALCS appearances in 2011, in 2013, winning the division for those four consecutive years. Like it's, all signs were trending upwards and then trade all the good players, try to rebuild through prospects, trade the prospects, give up on players, overcommit to the wrong players. And it was just like bad decision after bad decision, tumbling down like a stack of dominoes to get to the point where I can't see a contender like we had in the early 2010s in the next five years maybe it's hard to say though because if you look at who's at the top of mlb standings right now in the american league east tampa bay and baltimore um, tampa bay's done this thing through the draft and through their farm system baltimore was awful for years like baltimore's the best case and then you get the one draft pick that kind of turns things around i think it was rutschman for them um in the al central there's nobody that's good so let's not look at the al central part of the reason that we're even still watching the tigers this late into the season is they're in the worst division in baseball so they're at 39 and 50 right now and in no way out of the playoff hunt because everybody's within 
you know, eight games for the most part. Uh, the Texas Rangers were really awful recently, and now they're above the Houston Astros in the West. Uh, the Braves had some down years. The Reds with Ellie De La Cruz at, sitting at 50 and 41. So there are some teams that have been down over the last five years in baseball that are now kind of rising up. The Tigers are a little bit of the anomaly here. Like a couple years at the bottom should you should allow you to add high-level prospects. But I think this one we can just chalk up to Alavila was allowed to make the decisions for too long. The Tigers should be better than they are this season. And you just got to hope that the guy making the decisions now is making like sound, reasonable decisions with these high draft picks, holding on to the players that you should, signing players in free agency that like look, the last Alavila signings do not look good. So like making sure you're at least paying top value, top dollar to guys that provide some value and can stay on the field. So I would think because baseball's a little bit easier to rise out of the mud than some of these other sports, I'll say we'll see a winning team within five years in Detroit. I'm willing to say that that that's probably a reasonable expectation for the Tigers, provided you just don't mess things up. They're drafting in six minutes, actually. So we'll know who the Tigers took in the draft probably by the end of this pod. We'll try to remember to update you on that. Uh, where do you want to go next, sir? Who do you want to talk about? Uh, I'm a, one more, one last thing on the Tigers I think Please. needs to be monitored is their attendance was almost cut in half last season. So fans are giving up as well. And they need to win the fans back with some moves first. The average attendance, I mean, for their attendance for the entire season was 749,361. The year before it was 1.5 million. So that is a not even a precipitous decline. That is just a complete plummet. So you need to get the fans back. You need to rebuild it because this seems like last season was the bottom of the bottom. Yeah, great point. And I think that you will see it just this season. Like it seems a lot more full in Comerica Park. There's some reasons for optimism. You want to talk about a loyal fan base, Tigers fans? Like that's a great way to spend a day, an afternoon in Detroit on a nice day. Like Comerica is a great ballpark. So loyal fans, like certainly eager for a winner. Um, the Illiches have have owned that team now. I mean, Chris Illich was a little bit more willing to spend than Mark. I might have that backwards, but yeah, ever since the, the, the swap there, they have not really been willing to spend. So I agree with everything you said there. Uh, where do you want to go next? Or you want to talk lions? You want to go pistons here? You want to go Michigan? Uh, let's go, let's go pistons next. This is deep in your bag. This is in my bag because this is what prompted me to say this. I don't know. Like you can forecast this out. I don't know if we're going to see a Pistons winner for a while. When we decided to start this rebuild in 2020, I was like, okay, realistically, it's going to be five years until we're even like starting to be good. And then in, then you're hoping that the guy that you drafted 2020 is starting to get into his prime. Well, we didn't really nail the 2020 draft. It was the 2021 draft. That's where we got Cade Cunningham. So, and then he's out for all of last year. So this is kind of like, I mean, he's only played 70 something games, 74 games so far. So we don't really know what we have. You're trying to forecast th this thing out. This is the team I'm least certain of. It could be eight years before the Pistons are that good. And there are like every other team is loaded up with ammunition that we don't have because we started this rebuild without being able to trade a James Harden or to be out, be able to trade a Paul George and get all those picks that allow you the flexibility to go make the moves you need to do to speed up that rebuild. We don't have that ammunition. So we just got to rebuild this thing year in year out and nail your picks. 
Pistons are in a tough spot. This is without a doubt the hardest one that we're going to talk about to pull yourself out of. Um, and we'll see what this new CBA and the new, like the way that that's structured with all the cap space, which is supposed to add more parity. And there is a lot more parity in the league right now, but it could be very hard for some of these teams at the bottom to pull their self, themselves up off the mat unless you nail the draft, which it, it kind of just comes down to in most sports. I like the Pistons position a little bit more than you, just because I like the fact that they're not weighed down by a bunch of terrible contracts right now. Like you have some flexibility. Like if you need to piece together some picks, some assets, you can do that. And perhaps when a player forces his way out or hits a free agent market, they could make that kind of move. You and I were talking a few weeks ago when they were adding players through free agency, nothing crazy, just a little piece here, a little piece there. So it's going to give them that. And I think it all just depends on Cade Cunningham. Maybe we're a little too down just because we haven't seen him in a year. And it's like if we'd seen that second-year leap, we'd feel a lot better about their position, having a bright young star, kind of where the Cavaliers are. They added Donovan Mitchell to that, and it's like all of a sudden they have all these pieces around. So maybe if Cade Cunningham returns to form, you make one trade, add a vet, add a player like that that's complimentary to them, then you have a core that can take off together. Yeah, I like it. And it's not that I'm down on the players that are there. I just look around everybody else in the East who we're in direct competition with right now to try and rise out of the doldrums, Indiana, Orlando, Atlanta. And I'm like, yeah, they they have like a better core than we do. And I think we've done well in the draft. Um, Jaden Ivey is going to play a huge role in this. Sounds like that dude, like you can't get him out of the gym. So I like guys like that that go to work. Jalen Duran, one of the most athletic guys in the league. Osar Thompson top two percent athlete your favorite well. player james wiseman <sighs> that's a person that exists um isaiah stewart is there who i kind of like as like a rotational four or five need to get some wings in there it's not all doom and gloom it's not that i hate what the pistons are doing because like i look back five years ago and i legitimately couldn't watch i was like i can't watch this product this is unwatchable it's exciting now like, so I'm going to go and watch. We're probably going to win 23 games this year and I'm going to watch, but like looking ahead and that's what this exercise is meant to do. Looking ahead. When could I expect a winner? It could be more than five years. Whereas I think tigers under five years, I'm going to go over until we're winning meaningful playoff games. And we've got to hit everything right on the way. I do like that. We got Monty Williams. I like the coach. I like the the maturity of some of the guys they brought in. I think Cade Cunningham is a taller Jalen Brunson. You can win with that like for sure. So I like that. Um, I just, it's getting really hard around them. It's getting really hard to rise to the top. I, w I would flip flop with you. I'm more encouraged by the Pistons than I am the Tigers because in basketball, if you land the best player, you're immediately going to be impacted by winning. But in baseball, you can have Shohei Atani and still be middle of the road and miss the playoffs for 10 straight years. So I like the fact that they could add a key piece and pick it up. And even teams that miss in the draft repeatedly, you just got to hit once. So if Cade Cunningham is that guy, that could really change all the all the math here because like you think back to the process, like with the Sixers, say. they missed on Michael Carter-Williams. They missed on Jaleel Okafor. They missed on Ben Simmons. They missed on Markel Fultz. They traded Mikkel Bridges. They traded Landry Shamit. Like they, they missed more than they hit. They traded Jeremy Grant. They only hit on Embiid. And it's like, they've still been a consistent winner. They haven't been able to get over the hump or what the process was started out to be. But if the Pistons could just get back to that, could get to that level of competing every year in the second round of the playoffs, that would be a huge boom to what they have been the last 10 years. That's very true. And we'll probably be in the lottery again. So we're going to get one more go in a down draft class. But if you nail it this year, that is a lot of talent. And like it could be the one that swings it. So um, 
some very good points in there. Um, I just think that the Tigers are a little further ahead than where the Pistons are right now. Cause I really like Riley green. I like Scooble. I like some of the guys that the Tigers have. Um, and they're about to add another player here tonight. Probably one of those outfielders that I think is going to be another hitter. They need another bat Miguel Cabrera way beyond his prime, but we don't, we don't disparage Miggy in this household. We do no, not. not, not on this podcast. He can play until he's not 55. On- like that's all, I do not care. Um, I'm not the biggest Red Wings guy, but this Red Wings rebuild seems like it's taking some time too. You look back at uh, the Red Wings. I mean, this was the proud, the proudest franchise in Detroit for a long period of time. So the last time that we were in the playoffs was 2014-15. So right around that same time, or wait, excuse me, 15-16. We had a round one loss in the playoffs. Uh, last time we were really doing anything substantial in the playoffs, you got to go back to that 2012-2013, like I was saying. And then since 2016, it's been not qualifying for the playoffs, finishing 25th, 27th, 28th, 31st, 27th, 25th, 24th. And what's been awful is they've had no lottery luck. Like they've they've hit on some guys like on some guys that I really like, but the lottery luck for them hasn't been in their favor. And Iserman taking a slow approach to this rebuild. What are your thoughts on the on the Red Wings rebuild? So it's really interesting because I can come at this kind of from like a rival fan perspective, because as you alluded to at the top, I am Chicago Blackhawks fan. You know, we all have our faults, um, but I, I actually, I like what Iserman's doing. Like I haven't liked every move, but it seems really gradual and everything seems to be done with the right intent. So iserman has been there since 2019 and it's been slow. I mean, it was 31st, it's 27th, 25th, 24th, as you mentioned, but it's going in the right direction. Like, you and I were discussing how hard a hockey rebuild is because it's the only sport where your best player is playing a third of the time at most on the ice. And it's like, you have Dylan Larkin, a great Michigan Wolverine. You have some key pieces, but it's like finding the chemistry, finding the right coach, finding ones here and there. But there's, I have so much faith in Steve Eiserman as a hockey mind. I think Red Wings fans are in a good place. It's just going to take longer than you want. Exactly. And you hit the key points there is that your best player can't come in and be a huge difference maker like they can in basketball, the easiest place to be a difference maker, Um, football, depending on the position and and baseball, like all those much easier for one guy to like turn around the franchise here. We hit on Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider. I'm a huge Mo Sider guy, Um, but those are just two guys like pieces to the puzzle rather than the solution to a problem. So they just got to keep doing it this way. I trust in Iserman. I think maybe not this year, but I think the year after that. So I'll say three years until we're seeing meaningful hockey in Detroit. I'm going to put it I think, over. Yeah, under I think that's, years. I think that's the max to be honest, because you remember last year, although they had like the bad finish kind of stumbled down the stretch, they were in position in the wild card hunt again for the first time in a while where fans were tuning in every night. So that was nice to see in Detroit again. So yeah, man, I think no more than three years. I think the Red Wings are at least back in the playoffs. I agree with you there. Uh, the Detroit Lions, probably the easiest one to talk about here. Uh, we're so back, baby. Are, we are so we are back. back. We are back. One of the betting favorites in the NFC. I think this team could win 11 games uh, and they could do that. I wouldn't say easily. It's never easy for the Lions. This one has just been, uh, it's been a comedy of errors though. I mean, here are all the, since I started watching in 0102 and started really becoming a sports fan as a teenager, Marty Morningweg, Steve Mariucci, Dick Jaron, who I totally forgot one year of Dick Jaron, uh, Rod Marinelli, Jim Schwartz, Jim Caldwell, Matt Patricia, Daryl Bevel, Robert Prince, 
like when did Daryl Bevel and Robert Prince coach this team and now Dan Campbell. So it's just been turnover. It's been mismanagement of draft picks. Famously the Eric Ebron over Aaron Donald, things like that. There are clearly adults in the room here. Like I think this is a winning team next year. I think that the playoff drought ends next year because of the Detroit Lions. If not, it's going to hurt really badly, but this is not same old Lions team. This just isn't, and I think it's time we all start to get on board with that. Um, we're set in a lot of the great places. The uh, the suspension to JMO, not great. You know, we could really use him. I think that that adds a different layer to this offense that we could really use. But I like where the defense is headed. Huge moves in free agency to shore up the secondary. Aiden Hutchinson's going to eat with a little bit more time to get after the quarterback. Um, there's some good edge, edge rushers coming along next to him as well. Um, while you and I didn't love the first round draft selections, I think Jameer Gibbs and um, Captain Jack are going to come in and and really contribute. Sam Laporta, a pick we both love, I really expect to come in and contribute. So um, over under one year for me, things start turning around in Detroit. Oh, yeah. I think they already have, to be honest. It's, like yeah. ending the last 10 weeks last season, eight and two, and going on that run and knocking, keeping Aaron Rodgers from the playoffs in his last season in Green Bay was kind of like an, a, the, the ultimate consolation prize. Especially, it showed a lot of character within the team when the Rams lost. So no, Detroit could not get in the playoffs. So the Seahawks got in. And even then, they still found the motivation to go out there and win, finish above 500. So, you know, all signs are pointing up, man, especially with the return of Ben Johnson at OC. Like, if there's one person that can, like, overcome some of the personnel, like, absences, we'll see your suspensions, it's going to be Ben Johnson. And, yeah, man, just a lot of exciting pieces. Jameer Gibbs, you and I, like I said, we don't love the value, but kid's going to be a lightning bolt. Captain Jack can fill a void at, hopefully, add something, uh, at least stopping the run, maybe a little bit in pass coverage. We'll see. But, yeah, Sam Laporta, absolute dog and has been showing out so far OTA. So I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm really excited for this line. So he's got my Hutch Jersey upstairs. I have to start rocking it on Ooh. the pod. Now that we're on video. Let's go, baby. Yeah. Um, I would say fun sports are back in Detroit for the lions and the red wings. Like I've been able to watch some fun red wings and Lions stuff. The Pistons could be fun this year. The tigers aren't quite fun right now. Riley green just came back tonight and homered, uh, but we ended up losing four to three in 10. So they're still like, they still need to shake some of this just bad juju around the tigers team. It's not quite fun there yet, but lions are going to be fun. Red wings might take a little step back this year, but then are on the cusp of being fun night in night out. Um, Pistons will be fun, but we'll, but we'll lose a lot. Uh, let's touch quickly then on the Michigan rebuild. This is uh, we could do a whole pod on this one, but the Michigan rebuild. And I think that pretty clearly a college football rebuild, easiest rebuild, right? I mean, four year cycle, um, you can swap a coach and get a whole new recruiting class and do it in a year, but still we're talking about. Now, I have a question for you. Which rebuild of Jim Harbaugh's do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about mm. the 2015 rebuild or the 2021 unprecedented rebuild? Both. I want to talk about both because they um, the first one wasn't really a rebuild. In it, I, I get that the winning total was dramatic there, but Brady Hoke recruited the hell out of like the, I mean, the same type of guys Jim Harbaugh would be going after. Like you think that Harbaugh wouldn't have offered Jordan Lewis and Taco Charlton? Like I'm pretty sure he would have. So that was not a tough transition for him. We just needed some continuity, particularly on offense. And we needed to get the most we could out of the offensive line. That's an easy one to really pin down. Our offense was God awful 
under Hoke. And yeah. yeah, like once we got that offensive line clicking and the defense was already good and we kept Madison. Yeah, that was a team that was, was kind of like a nice sports car, but it's like, it's not just not running right. The engine's knocking, there's noise here, there's noise there, but it's still a great car. You just needed somebody to come in and fine tune it and fix it. Like the 2021 rebuild was like you'd smash that car after you'd fixed it, and now you had to put it back together with spare parts. I completely agree. The 21 one is more impressive. Um, so let's talk about that one. We talked about it on this podcast a bunch. It was a lot of returning to form and say, look, if I'm going out because there was talks about Harbaugh not making it another season. And I mean, I famously said famously that uh, I was ready to move on from him after 2020. I was emotional. Was I called for his job. I mean, it went two yeah, and four. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> Yeah, we went two and four. It was ugly. Um, so he had to go back to the drawing board and, and going back to the drawing board. He went back to what made him successful at every other stop and just showed, look, you guys are wrong. I don't need to modernize. I just need to be really good at what we do. And he was right. We were wrong. Go figure. Jim Harbaugh knows more about football than we do. And a lot you know, there was there was personnel changes too. you know, getting Cade McNamara, getting J.J. McCarthy adults in the room that while I don't think Cade McNamara has a higher ceiling than Shea Patterson had a higher floor and uh, was definitely an adult in the room in the quarterback position. Um, but really getting things going with the running game, obviously the Joe Moore awards. I mean, you can't just gloss over that. And then the defense, which has been good under Harbaugh this whole time, ticked up and you had some really impressive players. You had some really great continuity. I think that we upgraded with defensive coordinators as well. So it was a, it was kind of a full-scale rebuild, even though like the on-field product certainly looks familiar be both before and after. It was such a behind-the-scenes overhaul. I mean, you move Don Brown out. You bring Mike McDonald in to change the defense. Uh, you kind of reel in Josh Gaddis a little bit by promoting Sharon Moore from tight ends coach to offensive line coach and co-OC, which I think was one of the biggest moves done there because Gaddis' speed and space was not working. We needed some meat and space, and meat. so he brought a nice change in there. But the biggest thing Harbaugh did, and he's alluded to it, is he empowered the players. He empowered the leaders on his team, the, uh, the Aiden Hutchinsons, the – Son Haskins, the Cade McNamara, players like that. He gave them the leeway to take charge of this team. Like, what do you want from this? What do you want from Michigan? What does it mean to you? And those are the guys, like, with Harbaugh's support and commitment that took this program over the edge and returned to form. Yeah, absolutely. Aiden Hutchinson, as you mentioned, like continuing on with Sane Rastill and Rod Moore, because this like rebuild, like it's still happening. Like we're seeing yeah. it now. The, the continuation is, you know, the, the the results of what he did after that 2020 season. And like, we're never going to have this kind of a losing season again. We don't ever want to feel this again. It's a very impressive rebuild. Um, let's make a power rankings out of this since we just kind of power ranked them there. So easiest sport to rebuild in college football of the ones we've yeah. mentioned, right? Yeah. I mean, That's recruiting awesome. changes the narrative immediately. Yeah. I would like to say basketball next because of your point about getting one guy at the top, but with the lottery and stuff, like you could have the worst record like the Pistons just did. And they didn't get Victor Wembenyama. They fell to fifth. So there's a, a lot of uncertainty in the NBA. So it's between NBA and baseball here for number two or hockey. I, I don't I, know. This I still, is a, it's I, interesting. Yeah, I still think it's NBA because like the Angels haven't made the playoffs in what, 10 years. And they have Mike Trout and Shohei Itani. <laughs> you can have two of the best players in baseball and still not make it. Yeah, they are like a historically awful case, though. Like they they are literally like the subject of memes and stuff because there's no reason you should be that bad. 
Like they, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's remarkable, but I mean, if you put Jokic and uh, Giannis on a team, like I don't, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to at least make the playoffs. Okay. All right. So we'll go with basketball. So really the Pistons have just been poorly mismanaged then is what you're telling me. That and the fact that they're a, they're a a middle market team. Like it's so hard to get people to Detroit. Like it's gotten better as Detroit, the city's improved in the last decade, but it's like, that's been one of the hardest issues as well. Like when it was, I can go to teams on like level playing fields, but it's like, I can live in Detroit, New York, LA, Miami. It's like the Pistons have always fallen short of that. Well, look at the teams that have won it recently. Uh, Milwaukee, Toronto, Denver, like mid-market teams are able to succeed, but it's just, you got to draft that guy. You've got to get lucky. There's just this element of randomness to it. Um, So I would say normally it's number two. I think right now is a very difficult time to build in the NBA or just the Pistons, like building from the very bottom. Maybe it's like, it it takes a lot longer to build that team around him. Like they, uh, the Mavericks nailed Luca. Are they ever going to be able to put a winning product around Luca because I mean, they've been so good? They have made the Western Conference Finals, which is something Joel Embiid and the Sixers can't even say eleven years into the process. Very true. Very true. Um, okay, I'm going to go NFL next because we've seen NFL rebuilds happen in two, three years. I mean, we've just seen it. There's been a yep. million NFL rebuilds. Pick your case. Yep. Good um, coaches you know, come in. You get the top pick with the worst record, so the lottery odds aren't there. And you nail the quarterback kind of like the Bengals. Look how fast that turned around. Exactly. The Bengals are a great example. Uh, let's move on. Um, is NHL harder? Should NHL... Like, is this where NHL falls? Because NHL is a really tough place to rebuild. We're seeing now. And like, we all trust Iserman, but like, this is taking some time. So what's harder is it? it, So we have football, we have NBA. Then do we have baseball, then Lions that we're doing? No, we said, uh, we said NFL and then probably baseball and then NHL is the hardest, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what we're thinking? I'm hundred percent on the same page as you would like just baseball and hockey. There's so much variance and it's such like a deep roster of where you need certain guys and certain value. Like, I mean, if you don't have, you know, two good middle relievers, how far are you going in the playoffs? Like it could come down to something as obscure as that. And same thing in hockey. Like if your third line is complete trash, like that's really going to come back to bite you against teams with like deep scoring depth. So all those weird pieces in there kind of play to it. It's just the style of the games. Yeah. Uh, The one thing that makes MLB a little bit easier is I think that you can go get guys in any given off season that'll fit in and be just good enough. Like uh, the rebuild can happen quickly if you're able to identify that talent. Well, Um, I've seen Moneyball six million times. So all of this is based on Moneyball. But like you can go get a Chad Bradford and his defect is that he throws weird. (laughs) (laughs) Just reference that. But yeah, like it, there is like some truth to that in the sense that you can fill out a roster with guys that are kind of bargain bin and get really good results out of that i'm not an expert but i have seen scott hatterberg play first base and he he was able to make it work so i would say that this is pretty concrete evidence here but i I think the one thing we need to take away from this is like every rebuild has so much nuance but more importantly every rebuild requires a lot of luck yeah a hundred percent every single one of them does and or like you can say it's luck or it's uh you know player management or talent evaluation but there's I can tell you when the, luck when involved the, in that when the nuggets drafted Nikola Jokic they never expected luck. this <laughs> well they passed on him in that draft he was their second pick in that draft so if they knew what he was going to be they'd have taken him first I love when teams say like oh we knew it all along it's like no you didn't you you skipped him <laughs> 
You and 30 teams skipped him. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, you want to do a little Tom Cruise Mount Rushmore or should we say? Oh yeah, man. Uh, the, the movie, our movie rankings and discussions been picking up a lot of traction on the interwebs. Uh, again, apologies to our listener, Lewis. Yeah. My bad, man. (laughs) That's that's on me. (laughs) I have no problem with the name Lewis, given the breadth of all the bad names out there. Like Toby was just right there for the taking and you went with Lewis, which is a fine name, strong name. Yeah. Maybe next I should go with like Merriweather or something, you know, just (laughs) completely off the board. You're going to have some guy at Mary two, six, six, like you son of a bitch just hitting you up on Twitter. (laughs) Well, he's going to live in like England or something. So he already has enough to worry about his own life. It's very true. Bad food, poor teeth. Um, yeah, let's do let's do some Tom Cruise here. Before we get into Tom Cruise, I went and saw Indiana Jones: Dial of Destiny. You all, every single one of you that uh, has watched Harrison Ford and taken something from it, owe it to this man to go see Dial of Destiny in theaters. This guy put his heart and soul into that. Probably the best acting that he's done in any of the Indiana Jones. I have high marks for that movie. I enjoyed the hell out of it. So uh, do your diligence. And give money to Mr. Harrison Ford. Whether you go see it in the theaters or just find him in Hollywood and hand him a crisp $20 bill. He deserves it. I love hearing this. I'm very excited to hear Indiana Jones kind of return to how how we grew up with it. And it's like been such a lifelong journey. You talk about really tied to it. This is like how like uh, grown men's equivalent of going to a Taylor Swift concert. It's like, yes, Harrison Ford, here's my money. It's the exact same thing of putting on a sequin shirt tall cowboy boots and go and see in T-Swift. It was the same thing. I wore my fedora. I had a whip that was confiscated, uh, but I brought it. And uh, yeah, it was great. Highly recommend it. Um, Yes, let's talk Tom Cruise here because Mission Impossible, what is a seven, is about to come out. They're getting better somehow. This guy, we just did one of the most ridiculous IMDb's last week when we talked about Harrison Ford. This one might be better. So before we get into this, you get one of those two actors and you get their entire list of movies to be on a deserted island. Are you taking Cruise or are you taking Ford? man it's gonna sound really weird because like it's the differentiator for me like it might be like neck and neck but it's like with cruise i do get tropic thunder as well (laughs) (laughs) it's very true you get anchorman 2 with harrison ford which is bizarre but you get it you know you get a comedy in there but yeah cruise appears in some movies that Harrison Ford just wouldn't. And I mean, Cruz doesn't do this anymore. He's very clearly locked in on franchises and making as much money as he can at the box office. But there was a time when he'd do Tropic Thunder and Magnolia and Vanilla Sky and like has some weird stuff on his IMDb. Um, I want to choose Ford. I really do. But like, this is an insane list of movies. You want to get into this here? I I mean, do, we're not going to name them all, but I do want to say like your ultimate pushback would be but Andy, with Harrison Ford, I get Air Force One. <laughs> that is so up your alley. <laughs> Don't you see Gary Oldman as a Russian villain? Huh? Yeah, what are we doing here? Oh, my goodness. What a great movie. Great movie. Tremendous. Um, but, man, this Tom Cruise list of movies. I mean, we were just we only rattled off the ones or about to rattle off the ones that we felt had a chance of making them out Rushmore. And even then, we're still at like 17 movies. This is ridiculous. So do we want to do a collective Mount Rushmore? Do we want to do four a piece and talk about it? Six a piece. How do you want to do this? Let's do four a piece. Let's mix it up this time because this is too ridiculous of a list of movies. Like, I don't know that you can come up with just the top four. We should also probably say for the franchise movies, like Top Gun's so we an should have a draft. Right? We should go back and forth and have a draft. 
please. You think you have to talk me into a draft? We get power rankings and a draft, and we didn't even set out to do it in this pod. That's what this we do. The, this gimmicks, is the summer baby. content. Just wait for the fall. Oh, we are righteous men, and we love our gimmicks. Um, all right. So uh, you want first pick? Yeah, you I can have coin it. here. You got a coin? Flip it. All right. Heads or tails? Tails. Tails. You won one. For the first damn time, I win a coin flip on this podcast. It's um, like the least consequential one. <laughs> I lose all the ones for the spring draft. Uh, with my first pick, I'm taking collateral. Like, I mean, what one of my uh, probably my favorite cruise performance while I'm taking it first here, and just a banger of a movie. Like Michael Mann deep in his bag. Jamie Foxx is incredible. Uh, funny anecdote about this movie. I was in Denver last year for a work conference. And I had a, like a, re- a late night flight at like midnight or 1 a.m. out of Denver. And my air, not my Airbnb, my um, Uber driver picked me up and was watching Collateral as we were driving. Like had it up on his dashboard watching it. And I'm like, we're about, we about to kill some people. Like I'm just trying to go home, man. <laughs> He's like, you know what? This Vincent guy has some interesting ideas. But in that scenario, wouldn't you be the hit man and he be the Jamie Foxx? I don't know what he was trying to live out or if he was like just trying to say like, hey, man, if we need to kill some people, I'm down for the cause. But either way, I was just trying to get home. <laughs> Look, man, can we just swing through the Arby's and get me home? I've got a hell of a day tomorrow. <laughs> I need a big beef and cheddar and I'm sitting in coach. Let's get it going. <laughs> <laughs> Collateral is amazing. And it's one of the more unique cruises. The first time he goes like full villain, uh, he plays smarmy a lot, but doesn't go full villain as he is in Collateral. And it's one of the most interesting cruises. So that's a great choice. Um, I'm going to go with another one. I love how you and I draft because this is about value drop off, baby. We have the same kind of draft strategy. Give me Tropic Thunder. There's nothing else like this on the list. It's his, it's his funniest performance. Uh, you just mentioned that like this is such an outlier on the list. And um, yeah, he just goes for it. He goes for it in Tropic Thunder, one of the last great comedies. And he's one of the better parts of it. And he disappears into that ridiculous Lex Grossman character. God, that movie is so good. Like everything about it is perfect. Like the cast, the delivery of the lines, the script. I mean, early Danny McBride, you and I are on a huge McBride kick right now, is hilarious as the demolitions expert. Great Nick Nolte, just an absolute banger of a movie. We um, are gonna have some of our um some of our older audience and like even people that are like my age and close by are gonna be like, what is going on here? Collateral Tropic Thunder one and two. Yeah. Look. That's just how we're doing. Do it. your own draft. You know, I'm acceptable to all lists submitted to us on Twitter, email, whatever you got to do. Like, this is our draft. Yeah. But I mean, if you want to go risky business and freaking, you know, uh, what, what else, what else did he do back around then? Whatever. That's fine. But like, I don't get that excited about risky business. And I think days of thunder is overrated. So, yeah. I mean, now I could be a jerk here and take one of your favorite movies you've been raving about for Tom Cruise the last couple of weeks, but I'm not like that. I'm a man of virtue. So I'm going to take Jerry Maguire. You are a virtuous man, and he got an Academy Award nod for that one, right? He's got a couple nods. He I think just he got a nomination. One. I know Cuba Gooding Jr. won because he was fantastic Jr., in yep. that movie. But uh, great Cameron Crowe script, one of my favorite screenwriters and directors, and just an absolute delight of a movie that still holds up now. Like, kind of made me want to be a sports agent the first time I saw it until I realized, like, I probably had to go to law school. I was like, yeah, that's out. <laughs> yeah, that's a great movie. Um, actually, like speaks to a woman and seems like he knows what he's doing. Like Tom Cruise might actually be a robot. So when he speaks sometimes to, to women and is supposed to have chemistry, I'm like, hmm, not quite buying that you speak to women on the regular. But uh, in that one, great chemistry. 
Yeah, they're used to just like taking commands as he like looks down from like a perch or something to add one-on-one dialogue. The eye contact throws him off. <laughs> it's like Tom, you want to uh, you want to unhook from your uh, your sex gymnast outfit and uh, <laughs> no, it's a onesie. <laughs> Um, all right. So I'm not going to take the one that I've been raving about. We need to get back on track here. I am going to take, Ooh, man, this is tough. I got to take one of the classics. Um, I freaking love him in the color of money, but I'm going to take rain man here. I'm going to take another one to balance out. Cause you just took Jerry Maguire. I want one of the, the best acting performances that he's had. And I think he's incredible in rain man, him and Dustin Hoffman playing off each other. I just buy it. Great movie. I'm getting it. Not one of my favorites, but I like, um, I think the point of it is you don't like Cruz in the movie. Kind of a jerk. Like, mm-hmm. you feel bad the way he's doing it. Great, I mean, great character development throughout. Uh, shouldn't have won Best Picture, but that's a different thing to litigate. Uh, Dustin Hoffman's incredible in this movie. Just so good. And those two together, you really buy as brothers with their, like, dynamic and interpersonal play. Um, surprisingly still on the board. Give me Top Gun, first one. Great great pick almost took it there but uh there's an argument to be made that the second one is better and that's going to be my next pick oh going with maverick i'm I'm taking top gun maverick i wanted to get whichever one you didn't take and i was kind of hoping you went with the original which gets props for being the original but i think maverick's a better movie overall you lose the val kilmer part of it and i think val kilmer i love kilmer and i think i like kilmer more than i like miles teller in the supporting role but um, just the like a, the the distance that we've come, how far we've come. Technically, that movie was an absolute masterpiece. Technically, like I can't believe some of the shots they got in that. So I'm happy with that one here. Put me in an interesting predicament here because for me, it's down to the color of money, a few good men, and the Mission Impossible franchise. So you can't just take the whole franchise, right? You got to pick one. You got to draft. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I could, I would okay. be like, oh, I got the Top Gun franchise. Oh, I got the Mission Impossible franchise. It's right. such a cheap That's way. That's all I would have done, yeah. It's such a cheap way out. And, oh, man. It's very difficult. Like, I want to pick three just because how much I love PSH, my all-time favorite actor. Like, the end of that movie is pretty wonky and weird. Um, man. I think... Which is the one he's on the uh, outside the El Khalifa? Is that Ghost Protocol? Oh, Burj Khalifa. I think that is. Yeah, I think that's Ghost Protocol. That's that's the one I want because that's, that shot ah, and that stunt is unbelievable. That's my favorite too, of course. Yeah, yeah, we see it the same way. Um, that's a really good pick. Then I'll just finish it with number one. I'll take the original. Freaking Brian De Palma directs that. Also, a time that uh, Cruz has chemistry with a, a female actress uh, and Vanessa Redgrave in that. There's actually some chemistry there. Uh, John Voight really throwing some gas in that one. That's a really good movie. Good Voight. Um, really good John Voight. So had to get one of the Mission Impossibles. But insane because, like, look at what's left off. Cocktail, Color of Money, Risky Business, All the Right Moves, Days of Thunder, A Few Good Men in the Firm. Oh, man. We, oh, that doesn't feel good, does it? It it doesn't feel great. It's like, I I mean, what are you going to kick off? You like swap out Rain Man for A Few Good Men? Actually, that might be the move. That might be the move to swap out Rain Man and get a few good men in there. Cause I want one of his like singular acting performances. Um, and I thought, I think he's a little better in Rain Man, but I prefer a few good men. So I'll do that. I'll swap out Rain Man for a few good men. I hate leaving the firm and cocktail on the board because that's like peak 
uh, arrogant young Tom Cruise, you know, which is kind of what you cast him for just to be this arrogant little smarmy guy that's handsome and, you know, ends up winning the day and gets the girl. But especially man, you being the bartender extraordinaire you were in a previous life. Like, that's how I imagine you bartending. Yeah, I did not have that sort of skill, but certainly was uh, flirtatious. flirtatious. I, was gregarious. I was like, damn, all right. I wasn't good, but I was a dick. But I was, I surely was an asshole. <laughs> no, I was a great bartender. Um, some other ones, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, love that movie. Minority movie. Report, kind of in that same vein. I really enjoy both those. I just watched Vanilla Sky the other day. He's incredible. Magnolia, another PTH uh, that didn't get chosen here, but he's really good in that one. Uh, Last Samurai, uh, I really like that movie. I don't care. War of the Worlds, I know not for you, but it's him and Spielberg again, and, and they have a really good thing going, I think. Um, Valkyrie and Eyes Wide Shut also. I mean, just a ridiculous IMDb. But yeah, I like our top fives there. That, those are those are solid. We have good Mount Rushmore's here, you know. I thought we talked it out. I'm glad we could get a few good men in there. And it's like covered the career pretty well. Now we have the new Mission Impossible this weekend for consideration. Yes, absolutely. Well, we did five each that time, so we actually we went four. beyond Rushmore. Oh, did we? We did four. I had collateral, no, I... Jerry Maguire, Top Gun, and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Oh, okay. I thought I did five, but we we could keep going with the Tom Cruise list because it's <laughs> we're uh, doing five. I was taking a few good men and sticking you with Rain Man. Then <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be so generous to just leave me with that one. I understand. Look, it's uh it's hard in these streets, but all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, excited about the second half of this one. We are moving forward and breaking down our schedule. We are to the trap game segment now, breaking it down a little bit differently this time, uh, breaking them up into segments. How we view these games. We are in the trap game segment, so that's going to be Rutgers, Maryland, Minnesota. Also want to take a quick look. We'll see how quick at the freshman team, the freshman class coming in for this 2023 season. What do we expect from them? Who do we expect to see the field? Who are we most excited about? And we are going to start officially declaring who are our guys. And uh, once we get locked into a guy, that's it. We stick with them until the end of time. So excited for that. We will be back right after this. All right, we are Righteous Men, and we are back for the second half of this one. We are moving into our bag. It is all Michigan football from here on out. When you hear this, we're going to be about, what, 52 days out? As we record, we are David Ojabo days out. We are five, five days away from kickoff, so... It's going to start getting real with every passing week, man. I think that the excitement's going to grow with every passing week. It certainly feels like that. The Michigan video that they released, like a seven-minute oh. video. Oh, my we God. Should, we, we need to talk about this. Yeah. It, um, yeah, that video Anyways. dropped. I love all the content they're doing. They're maximizing this season and really capitalizing on the opportunity of having a national championship contender. And I had to – just myself, get ready for that video. It was incredible. I love the opening with the TCU game and like the sadness. And then it cuts to Cornelius Johnson, just like kind of distraught talking about it. Like, yeah, that hurts. And then just building throughout the video and then ending with players talking about other players. Rod Moore saying, Mikey, that's my dog. Frozone going to be the talk of the talk this year. Oh, boy. Yeah, 
I mean, I am, if I wasn't already just besides myself with anticipation, that'll certainly get you going. And we're not going to get an all or nothing maybe ever again. Remember the all or nothing behind the scenes? Yeah, which was so cool. So like when we get these little insights, I absolutely love it. It would be so great if we could get another one of those. Um, You know, this would be a way more interesting year. I would love to get more behind the scenes, but whatever you're going to give me, I'm going to consume the hell out of that content. So that video has been my life force over the last couple days and yeah i think we'll see a couple more of those and the anticipation is building and like you said they're really milking the fact that this is national championship or bust type of team so like yeah like give me everything and we're gonna just lap it up my favorite part of that video was donovan edwards talking about blake quorum going the elusiveness and then it cuts the core like juking somebody i mean whoever edited that just did a brilliant job Oh, yeah. Well edited. Just I'm completely on board. Uh, But yeah, we are talking actual football now. And last week we did the non-conference slate. Kind of went through that a little bit. You know, whatever. It's the non-conference slate. We're going to roll over them. Should be pushovers. Gets a little bit more interesting with the opponents that we're discussing tonight. So uh, we're going to talk at what you labeled as trap games which games that if you get caught napping could come up and bite you so there's three that we want to talk about this is obviously out of order but we're going to talk tonight about Rutgers we're going to talk about at Maryland and we're going to talk about at Minnesota where do you want to start let's you want to go chronologically in the season you want to start with Rutgers yeah yeah let's do it I'm ready okay so we have Rutgers here based on just recent history So, like, it's the Big Ten opener. It's the first game after the three non-conference games. And over the last two seasons, Michigan has really struggled in this jump up in competition. In 2021, the Wolverines were 20-and-a-half-point favorite and struggled to only win by seven. Last year, Michigan was a 17-point favorite against Maryland. And again, only won by seven. Like, I don't expect Rutgers to be good next year. But if history has taught us anything, is to expect a too-close-for-comfort conference opener from this team. Absolutely. Rutgers last season, four and eight, one and eight in the Big Ten. Michigan wins that one, 52-17. I don't remember what the spread was. I'm pretty sure we covered in that one. This was domination for the most part. Uh, the fact that they even got 17 is a little bit surprising. Uh, this upcoming season is going to be Greg Schiano's fourth season, yet to have a winning record. So, I mean, and that's yet somehow an improvement. Like Greg Schiano, they're happy to have him back. Very difficult place to win. I don't want to spend too much time on Rutgers because they're kind of just the doormat for the Big Ten and particularly being in the Big Ten East. It's a very difficult place for them. Uh, They're going to improve in a lot of meaningful ways, but it's just not going to really matter enough to, to be competitive, I don't think. Well, last year we should note about the Rutgers game. While the final score was a blowout, Michigan was 26 and a half point favorites and we're losing at halftime. It was 17 to 10 at halftime in this game. Now, granted, several Michigan players were out that we didn't know of until kickoff, including starting left tackle Ryan Hayes, starting wide receiver uh, Roman Wilson. But this team still had Donovan Edwards, still had Blake Corum. Edwards got a little banged up in this one, but like still had those pieces and found themselves on the wrong side of the score after one. But in the second half, I mean, Michigan started to really put the pressure on Rutgers in Piscataway. You saw the turnovers. You saw the pick sixes from Michael Barrett. Will Johnson got his first career interception. But Rutgers will play Michigan tough for at least a half. I'm almost sure of that. Yeah, they will play them tough. Um, If you're looking for reasons to have optimism in Rutgers, their running game wasn't totally awful last year. We held them to 17 yards rushing, their leading rusher last year. So, I mean, against 
teams that aren't Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, they're a lot better. Uh, Rutgers 0-9 against the Big Ten East Big 3 by an average score of 42-15, to and it's only that close because of the 48-42 Wolverines debacle in uh, 2020. But generally, they're just getting run out against the Big 3 and being competitive against the other teams. So they'll try and run the ball. Their front five, not great, but they got a good tackle that they're going to work around. Um, so it'll be a plus for them. It's just when you go up against Chris Jenkins, it doesn't really matter. Um, you, their their defense as well is worth mentioning. They're four and two when scoring more than 16. Only 16. Like if you score more than 16, you should have a pretty good chance to win. I like their linebacker, Mohamed Toure. Um, and it's a solid improving defense. They just got to get better against the, the big dogs in the Big Ten East. And I don't know how you do that um, without getting like a huge influx of talent. So I expect them to be similar to how they were last year. I do as well. It really relies a lot on Gavin Wimsett taking that step at quarterback. He is the highest rated recruit in the history of the program. Uh, defensively, they do have Aaron Lewis, former Michigan Wolverine, who played really well last season, would be a nice addition to the edge rushing unit in Ann Arbor next year. So those are some guys also to keep an eye on. And again, Rutgers last year, man, they were one of the few teams to shut Michigan out for an entire quarter. It was the second quarter last year. So I mean, I really believe in Shiano to trust them. God, I hope he doesn't have any, you know, hazing scandals. God forbid, knock on wood. Just our guys just taking L's right now. So um, he's going to have this team ready. He's going to have them fiery. They'll be prepared. And he's going to show them the highlights of the 2021 game when they came in and Michigan only completed one pass in the second half of the 2021 game and really struggled to hold on to that. Grant, I think the 2023 team will be better. I just, I don't know if they're going to cover the spread. This just in, Greg Schiano arrested for running in an animal strip club out of Piscataway. I knew it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rutgers, not going to be very good. Uh, well, they won't have a very good record, but they they do continue to improve. So I want to like kind of, uh, you know, add some, there's tiers of good in the Big Ten East. Difficult place to win. What do you think the spread's going to be on that one? Uh, last year was 26 and a half on the road. So I imagine... I, it's going to be too high. I think it's probably going to be like 28 or 29 and a half. Yeah, let's go 28 and a half. I had it at 35. That seems a bit rich. So 20 and a half seems right back at home for that one. Uh, moving on uh, at Maryland would be next up. Uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, excuse me, at Minnesota. Did not have them last year. Minnesota quietly last year, nine and four, five and four in the Big Ten. The last four years under P.J. Fleck, they have had more seasons with nine or more wins than from 1906 to 2018. <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> Right? Like, <laughs> kind of good? <laughs> yeah, it's – it's Minnesota is such a hard team to quantify, especially in Minneapolis because there's been weird games. Uh, the 2015 game immediately comes to mind uh, when Jerry Kill was there, when Minnesota got the ball down to the one but then didn't hurry up, and then Michigan ended up having the goal line stand, which was a big moment. I mean, you go back to 69, like there was big moments in there that kind of swung the season. Or you go back to 2020 when a Joe Milton-led attack shredded – this Minnesota team and had you and I saying all kinds of crazy stuff online. Oof, that was the uh, the Michael Barrett hit into the who was that Derek Jeter? Donovan Jeter. It? Donovan Jeter. Derek, Derek Jeter is too busy playing baseball. Derek, <laughs> Derek, Derek Jeter. Remember when he played? <laughs> good player. 
Look, it's early onset Alzheimer's. It's not my fault. Um, yeah, no, some weird games that we've had against Minnesota. I completely agree. And uh, they're kind of at a little bit of a crossroads here. They're turning over a lot of their personnel on offense. Um, out goes uh, what was the talented quarterback who was there for nine years? That uh, was Tanner Morgan. Looked like he was Tanner Morgan. Yeah, it looked like he was 500 years old. Uh, Mo Ibrahim is out. Income 6'4", 210 pound. Kalia Kamikmanis, the Greek the, rifle. Uh, the Greek rifle, baby. Saw a little time as a true freshman. 946 yards, three touchdowns, four picks. He's going to be their guy, no question about it. Has to be a little bit more accurate. He hit about 54% of his throws. They bring in a transfer running back to replace Mo Ibrahim in Sean Tyler from Western Michigan. I just don't see how you get better with that kind of continuity going out the door, though, with Morgan and Ibrahim. Well, not even that. Like I feel like we almost like buried the lead here with uh, John Michael Smith, their center who went in the second round this past year and captain of that offensive line is also gone. So, I mean, just questions all over the place for this team. Really caught them in a good year. Last year was a year you kind of didn't want to see Minnesota in terms of just their friskiness and what they could do. So a lot of turnover. They have a stud stud safety who I love. It's probably the second best safety in the Big Ten behind our Lord and Savior, God Moore. Um, Doug Tyler Newbin. Tyler Newbin. Tyler Newbin is really good. Love him. Tyler Newbin's really good. Chris Altman-Bell may be 110 years old, but he's back again from Minnesota. A big body receiver can do a lot, so he please bring some experience to them. But when this one boils down to it, man, Harbaugh has had P.J. Flex number. You think about the dual 100-yard rushers in 2017, and when you do the math on this, over the last two meetings, Michigan's won 41 to 17. Like, I fully trust this team to come in and get the job done. Like, even over the last two years in the second game of the back-to-backs, talking Nebraska 21, Indiana last year, team kind of comes out a little slow to begin with, kind of gets punched in the mouth. I think they'll be fully locked into this. It could be a night game, but just with recent history, the turnover and just unexpectedness right now in Minneapolis. I feel really good about Michigan in this. Yeah, me as well. The all hyphenate team name. They got Chris Ottman Bell. They lose John Michael Schmitz, which is the name of a serial killer. Uh, also, <laughs> Brevin, Span, Brevin Span Ford, one of the better tight ends. So they do have some really interesting pass catchers with Ottman Bell and Span Ford. Can the Greek rifle get it to him? Can he get it to him uh, efficiently and uh, safely? You know, can he avoid the turnovers? That'll be key. Their defense last year was the best in the Big Ten and among the best in the nation in third down stops. Eighth in the country in total defense, fourth in scoring defense last year. They didn't really have a pass rush. Uh, they do it in the secondary. They bring back Tyler Newbin. He had four picks at safety last year. Minnesota 7-0 and last year when allowing teams to hit fewer than 60% of their passes. Two and four when it was above 60%. So uh, when they can stop the pass, they they win, and they win pretty often. So this is going to be a time to run it. They turn over a lot on defense. Tough place to play. It's going to be loud, whether it's at night or not. Um, the energy is going to be high. This one, I'm going to give a little bit higher than Rutgers on the uh, be careful index for, for risk of an upset, just because it could get weird. Uh, if you look at a team that could, you know, pull an upset, it's teams that play decent defense and can move the ball through the air. So if uh, the Greek rifle takes a huge step forward with like some really talented pass catchers, this could get dicey. This could get dicey, but I agree with you at the end of the day, I'm going to trust the pedigree. I'm going to trust Jim Harbaugh to get it done, but certainly not a game you overlook. 
No, it's it's such a weird team to look at because you look at their schedule last year. I mean, it was very favorable, and I think it kind of boosted mm-hmm. some of those numbers. Like, I mean, their non-conference was New Mexico State, Western Illinois. Didn't know that was real. Uh, Colorado, and then the Big Ten West, and some of their crossover games were Rutgers. They had Syracuse later on, the last game of the schedule. And the one I look at is Penn State. Like, they went at Penn State last year and got absolutely steamrolled. 45 to 17. And I think Michigan's going to do a lot of what Penn State did to them last year with the power running, just have a more competent passer in JJ McCarthy compared to who was the quarterback Penn State just got rid of and been there for 10 years? Clifford? Sean Clifford. Clifford. There he is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clifford. So I think Michigan's going to do a lot more than that. And just if Joe Milton can shred this defense two years ago, I trust mm-hmm. JJ McCarthy to shred it. Yep, absolutely. And uh, like that stat, I suggested that, you know, they are at their best when they're shutting down the pass. We're not going to come out trying to throw all over the field. I think we're going to run the ball to set up the pass and uh, that doesn't set up super well for them, but it could get interesting. It could get interesting, particularly first big road challenge of the year. Just where it falls in the schedule is kind of what I look at as the biggest concern here. Uh, Predict the spread. What do you think, sir? Well, I like the road game before them, Nebraska. So that's the first. Oh, road that's look. true. Yeah, that's so true. They're coming just, on the yep, back to right. back, but Minnesota should be a better team. Um, I think the spread's going to be probably around 16, 16 and a half. I had it at 14 and a half. Okay. We're, we're thinking same ballpark here. It's about a two score game. I think so as well. Um, yeah, definitely just don't look past them. Uh, we'll know early on what they have with that quarterback. If that guy looks like a stud, I think that that number, that prediction is going to drop for us, and we're going to start sweating that one a little bit more as it comes closer. But we're not going to sweat too much about any of these early games until we get to the big ones, just knowing what we have. Uh, last one we want to talk about here, sir. Uh, this one should be interesting. At Maryland, this uh, this will get divisive. Maryland, 8-5 and five last year, 4-5 and five in the Big Ten. Uh, record-setting quarterback Talia Tagovailoa is back. Uh, they got some interesting transfers in. Uh, one of the best years in, in Maryland history coming off of a uh, first eight-win season in a long time for them. Uh, yeah, what are, your, what are your Maryland thoughts, uh, and what do you think about this game in general? I think it's kind of eerily similar to the Minnesota game where it's a team that's a year after the good year. Like they have a lot of turnover, a lot of people to replace. And I think it could be kind of a step back, like in terms of just overall talent, like the records could say what they want to say. I mean, depending on who you're playing, but in terms of on the field product, I think they're going to regress a little bit here. I mean, Maryland has to replace a bunch Two of my favorite receivers in the Big Ten, um, especially Rakim Jarrett. I love what he brought to that team last year. They're still going to bring a, a nice duo of the running backs, Hemby Littleton. I would love to have Littleton on this team for the power aspect, but I don't like what they're doing in the trenches. They got to replace four starters on a veteran, awesome offensive line. And then if you look on the other side of the ball, they only have five starters coming back on defense. So that, again, raises some questions, including a first-round pick in the secondary they lost as well. So the trenches are what really turned me off to Maryland. Yeah, I can see that. Last year, 2022, we won this one 34-27. It was a little more uncomfortable in the big house than we would have liked. Um, They only got close at the very end, but also they spotted us seven. 
to start this game. So it was kind of a weird one. Sloppy game by Michigan. I think we'll be better prepared. Um, their line does take a step back, and they also have to replace those wide receivers. But I like the transfers they brought in. I think the passing game will be fine. Um, but I think they'll struggle against these bigger teams because of that offensive line. So I think you really hit on the key point there. That is not a place you want to be weak against a team like Michigan or really any of the big three in the Big Ten. You don't want to have to have deficiencies at the offensive line that you're trying to cover up for. Uh, we took Talia Tugailoa out of the game last year. That could happen again. He's had some injury concerns. But when he's in, he's really good. Um, four new starters on the offensive line. I, I hear you scoffing. Five starters total returning on defense. Uh, All-name team, perhaps, in the Big Ten, Rutgers. The lone returning starter on the Rutgers D-line is named Delmar Glaze. They've got a transfer, Jordan Phillips from Tan Tennessee. That's fine. But then how about Jay Sean Barham? He's the veteran. Uh, he's the bell cow in the linebacker crew. Ruben Hippolyte, Fanage Gote at linebacker. This is a tremendous name team. I mean, Delmar Glaze is high. Caden Prather, also like good, strong, strong. name, something different. No, I, I like in terms of names. This team's a powerhouse. Definitely a one seed if we're doing <laughs> the Big Ten. Uh, I like where this game falls in the schedule. It's very similar to uh, its exact same schedule as 2021 with the same final three games where it's at Penn State, at Maryland, Ohio State home. And unlike last year where you're not going to have that jump up in competition and really be caught kind of slacking like they had been against Rutgers and Maryland 2022 with the Big Ten opener, I think they're going to be locked in. I think they're going to come in here to pound the football, a fully formed team in the middle. Like if there was going to be any drop off, I really thought it would have been in the 2021 game when they were vulnerable. That's when Donovan Edwards put his stamp on this and just took over. I think you could see something similar. Like they're just going to have one too many weapons for Maryland, no matter what they throw at them, whether it's going to be a Michigan defensive tackle they can't cover, whether it's a running back or receiver. Michigan just has too many pieces and too much talent this season to be caught by them. I agree. Also, uh, not a home field advantage that scares me. Minnesota, a far scarier place to play than at Maryland. So you don't really worry about that component of it. I agree with you. What do you think for spread here on this one? I think spread's going to be... Uh, it's going to be higher than the Minnesota one just because I think that all the teams are the same. I think Minnesota's home field holds a little bit more weight with that. I, so I think it'd be probably around like 18, 19. I had it at 17. Um, so, I mean, kind of right where yeah. you saw it as well. Um, but this one could surprise. I mean, Maryland, certainly no one thought it'd be as close as it was last year. Like I said, that was a sloppy game. I think Michigan will really get rid of a lot of those early season sloppiness this season. I think that this is going to be a, a more locked in team. So I think that we'll be a little bit more prepared for these early ones. There will be one game where we get caught slipping, though. Oh, yeah. So take Take your pick where it's one of these games where we don't come out quite firing on all cylinders. So it'll happen with one of them. I'm just going to assume it's not Maryland back-to-back -back years. I would think that maybe Minnesota might be the – if there's a game where it's like, oh, that was a little rough, and we kind of sneak out of there with a, a nine-point win or something, might be Minnesota of these three games. Yeah, there's going to be weird ones, and you can rank these teams in certain ways. We really have them like stashed here and kind of categorized as trap games because of one recent history – and two, where they fall on the schedule and just kind of the eye tests like every year, like we see what they're doing, see how it's going out, see where the team's like up, see where the team's down. So I just think these games could be one of the one of these games is going to be tricky. It's going to be a mm -hmm. mess and it's going to have some people heading for the hills or, oh, if we do this against Ohio State, we're going to lose like we hear every season or we hear other fan bases saying. But you know, all three of these should be in hand in the fourth quarter. I don't see any 
Illinois scenarios from last season, at least as of now. Should Nebraska be in this category? I mean, because Nebraska is definitely one that I'm looking at. Like, eh, I don't think it's a trap game, like, though. Because we we know you got to be up for that one, just because. Yes, yeah. last two years, first road game, Michigan has been super dialed in. The Wisconsin game, the Iowa game last year, come out, execute the game plan, and I just think though after the scare in twenty one there with Scott Frost's like best three and nine team of all time, I think mm-hmm. they're going to be fully prepared for it. Good point. Good point. Um, all right. Last little section here. I don't know how little it'll be because I'm excited to talk about this. Let's put our stamp on some of this freshman class. We haven't actually done a whole segment where we're talking about this class. It's an exciting one. We're talking about the 2023 class, the ones that are coming in right now, not the current class that we have going with Jaden Davis. This will be the Cole Cabana, Jair Hill, Amir Herring class. Some of these guys already on campus. Um, the rest, if they're not already there, will be there soon enough. Um, this is an exciting one. Um, where did this one finish um, in the country? I think it was overall 20 by 247. Composite so 17. Solid composite 17. So, like, that's pretty solid. Like we've said in the past, like, you can have on-off years where you're in that 20 range. So long as every three, four years you're throwing a top five class in there. We've got our top five class coming. So this is a class that's supposed to expected to come in and kind of fill in some gaps. Um, You're going to have some hits in this one. Um, You can go back and look at all the classes that we've had on two, four, seven. And there's classes where most of them end up transferring and there's just not that many hits. We're starting to see the transfers drop down, tick down a little bit. So I expect most of these guys to play at Michigan and to contribute, but when they contribute, it's what we're going to discuss here. Um, so you want to just go down in order of rankings according to two, four, seven. How do you want to do it? Yeah, let's just go through it back and forth. We can have a brief discussion about each player because I definitely, I know we're going to have some variants in this one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cole Cabana, number one. Um, him or Eno Etta, let's see who's ranked. I think Eno Etta might be ranked slightly higher. So Eno Etta, technically the highest ranked recruit in this class. So we'll start with him. I think we've talked about Cole Cabana quite a bit. Not too much to add there, but Eno Etta is a guy we haven't talked about. Six, four and a half. Let's call him six, five, 260. That's a large human being. <laughs> Um, really excited. I mean, we're getting some of these guys in there. This is already like you looking at body type and you're like, okay, is that more of a Chris Jenkins or does that guy just beef up and go straight up on the inside? Like a Mozzie Smith. You think they see him primarily as a defensive tackle or more as like this hybrid mutant that we've built with Chris Jenkins. I, I lean the latter because of that size, 260 pounds in high school is nothing to scoff at. And I think at that frame, like pushing six, five, they can put good weight on him. Cause I believe Chris Jenkins is only six, three. So if you add a little bit of weight to this kid like that, and he can learn from this like, crop of defensive tackles. Like you imagine just slotting him in next to Kenneth Grant in two years, like what that's going to be like. So I really like the build of this freshman coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Out of Texas, a four-star, highly recruited, um, had offers from, like, you name it, pretty much big program. And I see it the same way, man. Like, it's co- probably going to be one of those things where you're like, get in there, let Ben ha- Ben Herbert have a look at you, start to put some weight on, and then let's see what we can do. And what you can do with him, I anticipate, is move him inside or outside, which is going to be really exciting with Eno Etta. Um, does he see the field this year? No. I don't think so. Maybe some special team stuff, but if he does, it's within the four game limit. He's getting redshirted. 
I think so too. And I think that's probably the smart move. Uh, Cole Cabana, anything to add that we haven't already said about Cole Cabana? I think we are pretty clear where, where we stand with Cole Cabana, exciting player, probably not this year. Uh, depends what he weighs at fall camp. And if he, I mean, he's up at least a little bit to where Giles Jackson was because Giles Jackson was a light player. You could see Cole Cabana make an impact on special teams. So if he's going to escape that four game restriction, it'll be on special teams this season. So we were joking saying he's 165. See him listed at 180 right now. So that's a better place to come in at. Like if you can theoretically put on 10 in one off season and you're at 190, all of a sudden that kind of changes how I look at Cole Cabana. If you're up around the 190 range, like you can take a little bit of punishing ar around that range for sure. Uh, I mean, there's cornerbacks that we're going to talk about that I think will see the field that weigh less than him. So maybe we've we've overplayed the weight thing a little much with Cole Cabana, but I still think we're right here that there's no reason to rush him onto the field when there's a couple guys that appear to be ahead of him. Obviously, Corum and Edwards are you know the bell cows of this this backfield, but even some guys like Kalel Mulling, C.J. Stokes, eh, Tavi Dunlap, eh, but Benjamin Hall, another guy we'll talk about here. Um, Cole Cabana preserving that red shirt could just be the best move overall for the team. Yeah. Like I said, the only way he's going to burn that is going to be on special teams. I'm very interested to see what he does speed wise. Cause he has kind of game tilting speed. So if he gets kind of those AJ hitting those Eddie McDoom type reverses built in packages for him, that could be something to watch. Yeah. And I, I also like the idea of red shirting him and having a Jordan Marshall Cabana backfield coming in a little bit of that salt and pepper, that speed and power. It's very exciting to me. Um, and look, this is a guy that if he's too good to keep off the field, awesome for Michigan. So, I mean, hypothetically, if it's like, yeah, this guy's too good, we're going to know about it early and you're going to see it early. Um, I think Benjamin Hall, like we probably would have already heard something about this. Uh, because we're already hearing Benjamin Hall being a name that's mentioned as a guy that could see carry. So it's unlikely. But if any guy on this that we're going to discuss is going to hit and make an impact, him hitting would be a, an instant impact kind of thing because we're looking for a, a running back number three. Yep. Um, all right, moving down the list here. Next highest rated. Um, we might get a little bit out of order here because we're going between enrollees and early enrollees. But a guy that I'm really getting higher on, and that's six foot one cornerback out of Illinois, Jair Hill. He's got the name. He moves fluid. He's a four star. He's got the size. He's only 170 pounds. So obviously, you're not going to rely on him right away. But another guy where if he puts on 10 pounds, he might be hard to keep off the field, especially since there's definite competition for backup cornerback minutes. With the weight issues with he and Cabana, you feel encouraged because they're both on campus. Like they're mm -hmm. both already working with Ben Herbert. They're both in the program. So that's a big boon to their development. And with Jire Hill, I mean, he's in the competition. He's right there. I mean, in, I mean, he's working with Omarion Walker, Jaden McBurrows, Josh Wallace. It's him. He's in that mix. So he's going to have an, an opportunity to earn his reps. I mean, it'll probably take some time. I mean, it took Will Johnson until almost two-thirds of the season to get it, and he only really got it because of the Michigan State tunnel incident, which is a whole sliding doors moment for a bunch of different reasons, but that's one of them. So it's something to watch. It'll probably take him some time. It's really hard for freshman corners to pick it up that fast, but because he's not forced to do it because of the addition of Joss Wallace, it'll be really nice to watch him develop and kind of earn his stripes in sparing rotational minutes till he gets like his feet really firmly underneath him. 
Absolutely. That's where you want these guys, him and the Cameron Calhouns of the world. You want them committing for back or comp- competing for backup minutes right now. Excuse me. You don't want them competing for the number two cornerback job. That's not a good sign for your program. But like having a real competition for backup minutes, if you have to burn his red shirt because he's so good and he has to come out and play backup cornerback minutes, that's not the end of the world. I don't think you lose sleep over that if you have to burn this red shirt. It'd be nice to keep him, but cornerbacks you can get in the transfer portal. Um, you know, we brought one in this year that we expect to start as evidence to that. We've got some guys in there. So this could be a guy that burns his red shirt, but I agree that the weight probably suggests that he does red shirt. Um, anything else on Hill? No, I mean, it's a name to watch, and he's going to be in the mix quicker than a lot of these guys. And uh, having another last name Hill, I mean, there is a run of Michigan secondary players with the last name Hill. So just go ahead and tack them onto the list, baby. We're going to have another one. And uh, I don't know if he'll be better than Daxton or Levert, but could could be right around that Levert range. Yes. I mean, especially like junior year Levert Hill, that would be more than welcomed. Oh, that would be quite delightful. Uh, who do you want to talk about next, sir? Uh, we'll keep it moving. I'm going to go to one of my favorite players next, and that is Carmelo English. So yet to be on campus comes in the fall. He is a four-star wide receiver uh, from Alabama. I know he's from the South. Really kind of plucked him out of there and got our foothold in the South in the SEC territory. I love Carmelo English. Like I think he's really going to get like come in here immediately and start pushing some guys with his like playmaking ability. He is lethal with the ball in his hands and can really like, like just eat up yak against opposing defenses. I don't know if it's going to happen early on, but with the schedule and the non-conference being so light, he'll have an opportunity to flash. Yeah, the Cole Cabana, Carmelo English, like once we start seeing some of those early races and like foot speed drills and stuff to see who's like one of the fastest on the teams, these are two names to watch as guys that could potentially be among the fastest on the team. Uh, he's at 5'11", 175. So, I mean, you'd like to be above that six foot range to be like a true number one. So probably a slot guy. Or, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a, a boundary receiver that is kind of like a change of pace outside receiver. But nonetheless, like great ball skills. Once he gets the ball in his hands, knows what to do with it. Um, think a little uh, Giles Jackson, E, you know, in that kind of a mold. So definitely an exciting player, but could have a higher ceiling than that. I agree. Probably not a high likelihood that he sees the field. But keep an eye out for both this guy and Cole Cabana as guys that could be dark horses for fielding punts. Yeah, that, I really think that's where a lot of these freshmen are going to boil down to. Like, could you be fielding punts? Could you be kick returning if you want to keep Roman Wilson from taking extra hits? So I think that's going to be a common theme for a lot of these guys. I completely agree. We do not want to lose Roman Wilson. Like that's a drop off to have to throw Carmelo English in there to replace Roman Wilson as a receiver, but to go in and snag some punts in a, in a pinch, like that could be exciting. And certainly as a guy that could have a, a big impact, I'm going to touch on one that I know we're going to really harp on here for a second. Let's wax poetic about Amir Herring. 6'3", 300 pounds, at least. I mean, he is all of that out of West Bloomfield. I think this is the next guy. I think that we're both this it's I love it when we're lockstep with a prospect. It doesn't happen too often. Uh, we were both lockstep with TJ guy and we're still kind of just you and me building mm. fires on that island, maybe signaling for passing ships, you know, like, hey, if, if, if you're not busy, pick us up. But we're <laughs> fine here. If not, um, I think we're building our own Amir Herring Island and we are fortifying it. We are putting cannons up on the yeah, just up on the rafters. This is our guy. 
Yeah, Amir Herring is my favorite. I mean, not in a very long time, but I mean, since I mean, when I saw Giovanni El Hadi first get on the field, I was like, oh, this this guy's him. And yeah. just seeing Amir Herring in the spring game, what he was doing so raw, like, I mean, the technique, I mean, there's a lot to develop because, I mean, he was 18 years old in this, but the power and just the physicality and nastiness he plays with, the ability to move like grown men around at that age, like only being on campus for a couple months. Was, I mean, it left me aghast. Like, I was so excited for what I see from him. He is my favorite. He is the, if I had to pick one person in this class that I said is going to be a star, Amir Herring's my guy. I completely agree with you. We are locked in. Um, I think that we both have a pretty good hit rate on guards. Like, you yeah. see it early, like, and it was Zinter. Um, you know, it was Bredesen, um, you know, not just because they're highly recruited. Those are all four star, high four star guys, but the track record of succeeding with four stars, highly recruited guards, that's part of it. And then we saw it a little bit in spring game. He pops. So, I mean, it's not rocket science what we're doing here. This is this guy's going to hit only thing getting in his way is injuries or somebody else blocking his path. But I think he's going to forge his own path. Amir Herring's going to be the next guy at guard. Um, quick aside. Update the Tigers in the MLB draft once again go against um, general consensus and took a high school player. Um, our long nightmare will never end. Wyatt Langford from Florida goes next to the Texas Rangers. If he ends up being a stud and we have to wait four years for Max Clark, the high school senior that we took. Oh boy, Tigers fans. Um, I'll pour one out for you, but maybe he ends up being good, but he won't be good for a couple years. So. Let's maybe uh let's maybe go push our Detroit Tigers number back from earlier in the pod. Yeah, yeah, I gotta bump those numbers up. Um, okay, going to uh get, just come on down the list. One of my favorite and most intriguing prospects in this group is Brandon Hillman, uh, quarterback mm. in high school. Uh, the late late flip, as you remember, was committed to Notre Dame, got out of the NIL, committed to Michigan, was the number one in the elite 11 regional in Washington posted the highest testing score was just a, he was a thousand yard passer, a thousand yard rusher, a 30 touchdown player as a junior. I mean, just a freak. And by all indications, he's going to move to either safety or linebacker. So I, I think it looks like safety right now. Kid is a hell of an athlete and he's probably my favorite in terms of like most intriguing. Like I could see him being a, a freak game changer in the secondary, or just, you know, it kind of comes in, it doesn't work in a year and a half, and he's gone. Like, there's like a huge, a very high ceiling and also a very low floor with Brandon Hillman. This is a big boomer bust one. But if you look at the history of Harbaugh bringing in former quarterbacks and then, like, finding a place for him, historically, he finds a way to get him on the field. So I would go ahead and bet on this guy getting on the field and making a difference. I believe Michael Barrett was a former quarterback. Yep. Obviously, Zach Gentry early on in, in Harbaugh's first draft. Um, there's instances of this, and it's happened uh, at other stops as well where Harbaugh's been the coach. They can identify guys like this and be like, no, 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 actually, you're a safety. So I'm high on him. Freak athlete. Great bodies, like I mean, six one one ninety. I think he's at right now. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm there. I'm with you on this guy. It is boomer bust and unlikely to be this year, just because of that position. Um. You know, the, the and like we're just so loaded, and it's very difficult to switch positions, come in and start in the Big Ten. That's asking a lot. But I would keep a close eye on Brandon Hillman, and next year probably a guy that will be just kind of forgotten because we won't see much of him this year. And then all, all of a sudden you're going to hear like, oh yeah, by the way, Brandon Hillman's the starting safety. 
or something like that would not be crazy. Now, before we continue, do you want to jump around here and just go to players we think could have a chance to contribute? Because I think yeah, we can yeah. lump a whole bunch together that we know it's going to take some time. Yeah, yeah. Let's bounce around a little bit. All right, let's go to the obvious. Benjamin Hall, the, the hero of the spring game, the darling of every Michigan fan's eye in early April of this year. What does it mean? Not a whole lot, but it was nice to see a, a, a few things from the young freshman. The vision the quickness like on the field were very, very impressive. Like I, there's still a little bit to be determined whether he can do like hold up as a freshman, consistently see holes, understand what he has to do because in Michigan's offense, running backs are tasked with a lot. It's not just see hole, run hole. Like this isn't a gap scheme. Like you have to read players. You have to understand stuff. You have to understand shifting protections from the Mike linebacker to protect our quarterback because God forbid you miss a block and JJ McCarthy gets hit. So you have a lot to pick up as a freshman. So while all that is being said, like all the hype is going out of control with a freshman, let's, as our friends over at Big House Bleachers would say, let's pump those brakes just a little bit. I have 226 reasons to believe in Benjamin Hall. 225 of them are the pounds that he weighs <laughs> as a freshman. The other one is the amount of time he spends like studying and in the locker room and just being a gym rat. I love that. Film rat. Like that coupled with him coming in at 5'10", 225 pounds, that suggests a contributor, that suggests a year one contributor, that body type can hold up. Certainly. I mean, 225, wasn't that what Haskins was at? Like that is a mm -hmm. big dude. Good Lord, Benjamin Hall. Um, he doesn't really need any work around the edges from Ben Herbert. So I think because of that reason, we could see him year one. Now, does he beat Kalel Mullings, who you think will win it out, um, or CJ Stokes? remains to be seen but i don't think that they're saying all these things just because they like you know just putting stuff out there they're having a good time you know getting the journalist fingers tapping away at the keyboards i think that oh, he's a real player i say oh you don't what about all the amarian walker thing oh he's jesus he's the second coming oh best athlete on the team getting torched by our fourth best receiver <laughs> just got spun around like a top so i i, I want to see it again like i i need i mean as a freshman, like I always kind of give them some grace. And like, I understand it's going to take time because I mean, we saw last year with CJ Stokes early on in the year, really flashing, like had a lot of tools and showed the promise. But then as the year went on, teams got more sophisticated, understand what Michigan was doing. And then the fumbles creeped in a little bit. We saw that with Donovan Edwards as a freshman struggled with it. We saw Corm struggle with some fumbles. So I don't want to put too much on his shoulders, but like I'm very excited for the prospects. And again, I love the fact that he joined this team during bowl prep. Like that's an underrated yeah. part of this. He joined last year's team for that those those practices to already get his feet wet. So excited for what he can become. I just want to make sure we like temper expectations a little bit as a freshman. Look, everyone says that Amarion Walker was the worst player in the spring game. What I would like to hypothesize in this podcast is what if he wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> what a great poll. You know you get me with that. Uh, yeah, I knew I'd land the plane on that one. Yeah, we're both there. Uh, let me throw another guy that I'm pretty high on Cameron Calhoun, uh, cornerback out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, early hype on him was a little bit, it's cooled down a little bit, but I'm not going to get away from the player because he's tenacious and I want my cornerbacks to be tenacious and to have that kind of like, 
let's say Mike Sainer is still light where it's like, oh, this guy's going to get a little handsy. He's going to get a little aggressive. He does stuff that like veteran corners do. He just can't quite do it like a veteran yet. Like, when do you hold on to a guy and like very handsy? And I think that you can coach out some of those penalties out of him and eventually make him a very physical cornerback. I think he'll be a great tackling cornerback. Um, probably not this year, but don't be surprised if it's Cameron Calhoun and not Jair, Jair Hill that we're hearing that's ascending in that cornerback room. Oh, I like that. Now, I like what I've seen from Cameron Calhoun. It's one of those three stars where you're like, are we are we sure he's a three star? And exactly. like everything I've watched with him, everything I've heard about him, especially from Harbaugh is promising, especially in terms of physicality and what he can bring. So I like that one a lot. Now I'm going to go, I'm going to return to another kind of hero, the spring game as a freshman. And that was Samaj Morgan, former teammate of Donovan Edwards played for um, Michigan's wide receivers coach in high school at one point in Ron Bellamy returns to be coached by him as a wide receiver at Michigan. That is, and I love what Samaj Morgan is bringing. I think that he's in the running for punt returner. He returned some punts in the spring game, showed the sure-handedness, showed an understanding of concepts that were a little more advanced. And I, just, I really like the promise. I like the connection. I like the chemistry with the coach. So I'm buying a lot of Samaj Morgan stock. I don't think it's going to come to fruition as a freshman, but in 2024, I really feel good about him emerging. Yeah, this is where I should have used my Giles Jackson comp because this is a better one-to-one -one comp for Giles Jackson, Samaj Morgan. I think he's probably a little faster than Carmelo English, so I don't know who the comp for Carmelo English is. Maybe like faster Ronnie Bell with less sure hands. Um, but Samaj Morgan, very exciting player. I agree. Um, does it concern you at all that the wide receivers were bringing in? Neither one of them cracks six feet. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, it's kind of getting spoiled, but I mean, does it even... I mean, run through your mind the fact that Roman Wilson is barely six feet and CJ is six three. Like, yeah, well, Marvin Harrison Jr. is six five. So, <laughs> well, if we're going to compare, oh, yeah, if we're going to compare it to the outlier of outliers, I mean, you know, also six five is you know, Colson Loveland, which helps. Yes, it certainly does. Uh, let me stick with, oh, actually, let me get one of my guys here. If this is a guy I want to talk about, Evan Link, offensive tackle out of Gonzaga, 6'6, 290. He's a four star. Look, this one's just low hanging fruit. Odds are this guy hits. That's all. That's as simple as it is. He's a four star. That's 6'6, six, six, three, three bills. Odds are this guy's going to find a way onto the field. Track record suggests that he will. So he's a name to know. I don't really have any other great insight on this one. Um, it's very difficult to break down the, the film of a tackle when you don't know the quality of the players that are going up against. Because all you're seeing is him just dominating a bunch of kids. So it's like, well, that is certainly a large man beating up a bunch of kids. Um, and Evan Link certainly beat up a lot of kids in his, in his high school tape. Um, so just odds suggest that this dude, hits at some point six six though could potentially kick into guard something to keep an eye on doesn't necessarily recruit it as a tackle doesn't necessarily have to end up there i'm i'm really excited for evan link mostly because sharon moore is really excited for evan link and uh, to kind of keep up with your height thing i want to talk about one guy that's kind of going under the radar because the room is so deep and that is six four uh not wide receiver tight end zach marshall a lot of upside with this kid. Very first kind of first team all athlete recruited as an athlete. He was a three star and he's already enrolled, putting on some size listed at 220 coming out of high school, expecting to be every bit of probably 235 by the time fall camp is over. This is a kid to watch. Like it's another one of those kind of like recruited in the Loveland Jake, Butt kind of mold the, 
mean, you look, go back even further. Like it's a long Michigan lineage of these type of athletes that are going to serve in that role. So Zach Marshall, like coming into a crowded room, it's, it's not going to be this year. I can assure you of that, but in two, maybe one year, it could be Zach Marshall. In an hour, hour 45. Sure. No problem. <laughs> he's just coming um, into such a loaded room. It's kind of the same thing with Hillman. If he's going to play safety, it's like, wait your turn, young fella. 6-4-2-20. I thought I remember hearing something about this, and maybe I'm just making it up, that he was being recruited as a defensive end. And that's what got me excited was the tight end to defensive end shift. 6-4-2-20, if you put on, I mean, you got to put on some weight. That means it's going to be a few years to get up to that. You got to at least be at 250, at least at 6-4. I mean, ideally, you'd be at 265. Uh, but if that's a route that they go, that is a very intriguing player. I was much higher on him when I initially heard that defensive end news. Um, I don't know if I made that up, though, or if that was like official. Um, but yeah, if he's a tight end, there's just some other guys coming in that could be barriers. The guys that are in this upcoming class in particular, the Hogan Hansons and uh, Prescorns mm-hmm. coming in could really block him. Um, there's also Deacon Toynelli on there. Um, the guy whose name um, I messed up last week, Klein, um, Mar- yep, you know, Marlon Klein, not Marvin. Mar- yeah, Marlon Klein still on the roster. So if he goes to defensive end, I think that's a far more interesting player. Tight end is going to be hard to get on the field as anything other than depth. Um, but very interesting, an athlete with size for sure. I, I like him and I'm not too worried about the weight because Loveland played last year under 240 and like you never really noticed it. In as a tight of end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm as saying a tight as a end. DN. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I just think the road's longer there and it's kind of getting log jammed. It's going to get opened up, but it's like, Kind of either position for him right now is log jammed. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, how about Samaj Bridgman out of Emotep Institute? Uh, big Emotep guy, but also 6'2", 230. Those are basically Junior Colson numbers, what he's being recruited at. That is ideal for a linebacker. He's a four-star. He moves extremely well. Big physical, physical guy. Great linebacker name. If we're talking some of the all-name t- uh, guys on this team, Samaj Bridgman is a linebacker that I could see myself really, really loving. This might be one of the guys I want to throw a flyer on, and maybe I maybe I want to pl- plant a flag here as a my guy here. I might want to do it. I might want to plant a flag on Bridgman. I mean, he went to Imhotep Institute. Like, nothing would be more on brand than you to pick this player and just bet on him. Freaking love the mummy, 1999 classic starring uh, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss. Starring Academy Award winner, Brendan Fraser. Mind my tongue, you're right. All right, another one for me, like we're getting into the nitty gritty of guys I really think are going to make an impact next season. Uh, Freddie Moore, wide receiver, flashed in the spring game and, you know, showed some promise, but it's a lot to be seen from that. Like it was such a small sample size and the the flash is kind of, you know, it, it, it wasn't the flash that some other guys had like Samaj Morgan. But the one guy I do want to touch on as a complete wild card for what this team is, is Kendrick Bell. Ronnie Bell's younger brother, six foot three, 180 pounds, recruited as a quarterback, hell of an athlete. I mean, just kind of like Ronnie was. And I like the DNA. I mean, we've seen it before with Michigan, how many like legacies we've seen come through just recently. Think about like Bredesen's and people like that or the Glasgow's. So maybe this is just the next iteration of what Ronnie Bell is. And I'm all here for that. And plus, I love the size at six, three. 
Yeah, we could use a big receiver. I mean, we just talked through who we have coming in in this class. Neither one cracks six foot. So having somebody out there as a pass catcher that's not a tight end, that's over six foot, I like that as well. As well. Um, yeah, so Morin Bell not winning any awards on the all-name team, but certainly guys we'll have our eye on. Um, Deacon Tonielli just spoke about him a moment ago. Let's stick with the tight ends or guys that could potentially play tight end. I'm still... I got my eye on you, Zach Marshall, as a defensive end, but Deacon Tonielli is a tight end. He's 6'6", 215. Like, the tight end room is about to be insane. And I think this guy, I mean, he could be a real impact player. I mean, there's no reason it couldn't be early at 6'6", 215. Like, there's nothing about that body type other than the guys in front of him that say he couldn't be an early impact guy. Like, it's not easy to get on the field as a tight end because you're a blocker and you're a pass catcher. And you're very critical to what we're doing at Michigan. But body type alone and the fact that he's a four-star highly recruited, this could be a guy. This could be a guy. I'm a little concerned. Uh, he's never played tight end before. And at Michigan, you have to block. <laughs> so it's not like this year. That's that's not this year. It's like you really have to learn the blocking scheme and what they're doing here. But again, you love you see six six, that's what you love. You love he's doing that. And he was a very sure-handed wide receiver. So the conversion of getting him to tight end is what's gonna like it's gonna take some time. But I mean even if he just becomes a reliable one, the rate Michigan uses tight ends to go three, four, seen five guys deep. Like he's going to get his shot. If anything, like maybe tight ends, not where he's best. And he just kicks back to like be a possession wide receiver at that size. Good Lord. Sit with that body, a six, six, two twenty-five receiver. That is certainly different. Maybe he's a guy they look to move to the other side of the ball, but I don't know. Would you rather bring in a guy, an offensive lineman that knows how to block and teach him how to catch or a wide receiver that has tight end size and teach him how to block? What do you think would be easier transition? Not this it's is we're way out of our depth here, but way out of our depth. I think it's very case by case at Michigan. I think it would be easier to learn how to catch <laughs> because of how yeah. complex some of the blocking responsibilities are and how much the tight ends need to take on. But like, I think I would say general consensus would be it's easier to learn how to block. I mean, you can't just teach playmaking. Yeah. So that should get you excited about the potential there, because obviously they liked him as a receiver and they seem to think the transition is doable, but oh, just yeah. not a year, not a year one transition. Just not, not this year. Just get that no. out of your head. Yeah. It'll, it'll take some time, but again, you love six, six. That's what you love about this kid. You can't teach that. Yeah, unless I, I let me take that back because I was very definitive about that. Unless they're just putting him in there like, hey, you don't have to block anybody on this. Like this is designed for the tight end to go catch a pass. And you're like, you're six, six, go up and get a ball. That could be a good jump ball guy to have on your team. Yeah, I mean, he's got to usurp the jump ball King Peyton O'Leary first, but I have faith he can do it. <laughs> And just going to gloss over Colston Loveland, who should be wearing number 88, by the way. Matthew Hibner, you seem delightful, but come on. Yeah, yeah. We don't have we have the second coming of Jim Mandich wearing number 18. Like, I feel like it's just like a placeholder right now. Like, we just we need to get this straight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, all right. Where do you want to go next, sir? Um, everybody else to me is at least a year, mostly two years away, except for one player. That is Adam Samaha kicker last last rate recruit because why do we rate kicker so low why can't a kicker be a five star makes no sense to me that just because they're a kicker they don't go above a three star but that's because they're not recruited the same way like we've discussed on this podcast ratings are based on how many people are offering you and kickers just they don't get a breadth of offers like some other positions yeah which is 
dumb with how important we've seen them become pretty important. In football. <laughs> pretty important position. So Samaha's going to come in in a battle with uh, Louisville transfer James Turner for starting kicker and uh, Tommy Doman, returning kicker for Michigan as well. So there's a three-horse race there. It could be him with the best kicker in Michigan last year. Um, it's hard to evaluate a kicker at 18. Like, I believe he's hit from 50, but it's like it's going to take some time for him to develop. But, I mean, this is a position he can win straight out by – you kick the ball the best, you're the most accurate, you're going to win the job. So his is the most straightforward to win. He has the talent to do so. It's just seeing how he handles the pressure, the nerves, and the repetition of what the job requires. Yeah, and we've been kind of doing this as likelihood that you'll see him at some point. So Samaha, very good bet that you see him at some point. Everybody else that we could touch on here, there's going to be one of them because there's one every year. That's the three-star that we didn't even talk about, see Rod Moore see Ronnie Bell, see Hassan Haskins, where one of these guys towards the bottom pops. So I'm going to give you a list of names of guys that we haven't mentioned yet that are a little bit lower. These are all going to be three stars or below. Go ahead and plant your flag and try and tell me which one of them pops. We've got defensive end, a Merrick Kumba from France, 6'4", 233 star. We've got Nathan Afobi, interior, interior offensive lineman from Georgia, 6'4", 282. We've got Cameron Brandt out of California, a 6'4", 260 defensive lineman. Jason Hewlett, uh, listed as an athlete, 6'4", 220. Don't really know what their plan is for him. 6'4", that maybe defensive end is where my mind goes. You, you want uh, one so bad. <laughs> I sure do. Uh, Roderick Pierce, defensive line, 6'3", 290. Uh, out of Brother Rice in Illinois. Brooks Barr, defensive lineman, 6'6", 270. Uh, out of Illinois, Dewan Waller, quarterback, cornerback, 6'3", quarterback, 195. That's an interesting body type. Breon Ishmael, 6'4", linebacker out of Cincinnati. Or Hayden Moore, 6'3", linebacker out of Aurora, Colorado. This one's very, very difficult. I'm just going to – I'm going to go maybe not where you expect, but maybe exactly where you expect. Going Brooks Barr. I'm going Ooh. at 6'6", on the defensive line. I – love that size because i mean that is like nose tackle incarnate i mean do you think six six nose tackle is jordan davis like brooks bar is not going to be jordan davis let me assure you of that but brooks bar could be a very valuable player and if anything i think if he can put on the size he could just be a, like a gap clogger he could just require a double team at least draw the attention of two offensive linemen on the interior and that just creates problems for everybody else so it's six six two seventy coming out of high school he's a massive frame he's easily going to be over 315 in a couple years. I think he could do a lot of damage in Michigan. Uh, I'm staying on the defensive line. It's between Cameron Brandt and Roderick Pierce. I was considering flipping a coin for it, but I'll be a little bit more scientific than that. I'm going to go with Roderick Pierce, uh, defensive one. lineman that comes in at 6'3", 290. Uh, part of this is our recent success on the defensive line. There's a great case for us as the best. Georgia probably has the best cases, but for best uh, university at producing defensive line talent, I think that one of Cameron Brandt, Roderick Pierce, and Brooks Barr, or maybe two of the three hit. So I'm just going to go with the odds here and say Roderick Pierce. I like the size early on. Um, being under 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six actually makes you a really good prospect at the nose tackle position because you can get under some of those blocks. Uh, centers generally don't go over 6'3", six, 6'4", six, so you want to be able to get up under him. So I like being 6'3", and a little bit heavier there to be right in the middle of things there. So... Yeah, uh, one of these guys is going to hit one of these three stars and maybe several of them, depending on what kind of year it is, are going to hit. So 
don't just forget about these guys that are at the bottom there. The, uh, the Dewan Wallers, the Breon Ishmael's, the Hayden Moore's one of those two probably hits too. Breon Ishmael or Hayden Moore. Someone's it's going to be somebody. And again, they're going to be off the board. Like you said, like if yep. the 2021 class, you looked at it and you said, Rod Moore is going to become, you know, the best safety of this century or, and, uh, Andrew Anthony is going to have a huge game against Michigan state. You never would have guessed that. So just to go yeah. out on one of these, I love that we're both going with traits guys. Like you're going with the, the six, three, two ninety prospect. Who's all muscle. I'm going with the six, six frame to add something to it, to just be a, a mammoth on the interior. And yeah, man, I mean, you, you trust this kind of process. And I think it really kind of just underlying shows our faith in Mike Elston, defensive line coach. Yeah, absolutely. Our faith in the coaching. Um, you see where we really went with this, with this exercise. A lot of love to the offensive linemen, the defensive linemen. Uh, I think we always want to get excited about wide receivers. We get excited about wide receivers every year. Get let down more often than not with that position, but you know, it's it's an exciting one. You want to be right about that. Um, strength of this team, I think, is on the defensive side of the ball, though. I look at all the guys that we just talked about. I think the the guy on offense we're most sure of is Amir Herring and Evan Link. Um, and then everybody else that I'm feeling really certain about is on the defensive side of the ball. So I think this is going to end up being a really strong defensive recruiting class, if I had to guess. I mean, color me shocked. Michigan's building through the trenches again. Weird. Weird stuff, weird, wild stuff here. It's like a veritable Northwestern. Uh, never mind. Let's leave Northwestern. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that one aside. <laughs> uh, anything else on this freshman recruiting class? Anything else you wanted to touch on before we call it a night, sir? No, man. I'm super excited to see where it starts shaking out. I know one of my favorite pods every year is one after the weights and height are released on the roster in the fall and after Harbaugh does his yearly Jansen appearance in August and just kind of just builds the hype up by naming 100 players on the roster. And then you and I are dissecting them and putting yarn together and looking at this player and that. But he he talked about him for 32 seconds and only 16 seconds on this guy. I, I'm leaning him now. I'm feeling it. We're just like, who the hell is Meriwether Ishmael? I forgot about this guy. We have another this Lewis be- on this team? I thought Hanson transferred. <laughs> Since when do we get a Toby Eugene? Terrible name. <laughs> It's it's going to be interesting, man. I think it's fun that despite having so much returning talent in production, we're still so high on some of these freshmen having an impact and just adding something extra to what this team could be next season. Yeah, it really feels like a gap filling type of a, a recruiting class where it's like we're filling in and you're getting some really key cogs. I don't know that this will be the star studded one. I think if you're looking to the 2024 class for that, uh, excuse me, the 2023 class. Or no, it would be four, four. Yeah, the four, four. Yeah, next year. Yeah, exactly. I'm an idiot. It's late at night. Um, that's going to do it for us here on Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. Give us a five-star review if you would be so kind. We would appreciate that. You can follow us on Twitter at Maze and Brew. I'm not sure if we have a Threads yet. That's a thing now. I'm over there on Threads if you want to interact on Threads. Terrible name, but... Boy, do I love the pettiness of releasing a Twitter competitor while Twitter's imploding. Great stuff. Uh, That's going to do it. Remember that wherever you go, go blue.